You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. The Houndsman XP podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsman of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsman. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this made-in-America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete Houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week do you spend on As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. 
I'll tell you like I tell everyone else. I'm going to hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. You are listening to The Truth on the Houndsman XP Podcast Network. Competition hunters, I know you're always looking for an edge, and you won't find a better edge than keeping your dog hydrated. Check out Dogs Are Hydrated at the website and our sponsor, www.dogsartreat.com. They've got the highest quality leashes, tieouts, paws are protected. Build your pack from the ground up. Keep those dogs on their feet and hydrated for the late round. You can only find this product at dogsartreed.com. Enter our promo code HXP20% off at checkout. You'll get 20% off of your entire order. Also, the truth is sponsored by Rough Cut Company. Rough Cut Company will take your high-quality images, the things that are most memorable in your life. You take that image, you go to their website at www roughcutcompany.com you upload the image they'll run you a proof email it to you and then after your approval they will laser engrave that into a piece of native wisconsin hardwood you can check out the quality of this image by going to our facebook group houndsman xp podcast group and the cover photo for the bulldog episode is one of the rough cut company's pieces that i ordered from my wife so check them out, www.roughcutcompany.com, and enter the promo code HXP10% off at checkout. You'll get 10% off your order. Here's Josh with the truth, and he's got Jess Dickerson. This is going to be a great episode. Thanks for tuning in. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is Josh Michaelis with the truth on the Houndsman XP Podcast Network. And today, I'm lucky enough to be joined by Mr. Jess Dickerson. Jess, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good, Josh. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, we went. We had some supper. We're sitting down here at Jess's table. Yeah, Jess, put that thing on silent. There you go. <laughs> and we're out here at, I guess Kurtz is called Trackman Lane. I'm going to call this Naylor Lane. <laughs> I'm out here with my good friend Jess. And before we start this conversation... I want to preface this with um, when I first met Jess. And Jess, you may not know this, but whenever uh, Jeremy bought style off of you, and of course we'd heard of you, uh, we'd bred a female to Naylor when I was young, and you were, you know, kind, you were a big deal. And you still are, don't get me wrong, but, you know, there was some, there was some, uh, I guess I'd say hero worship or something like that, because you know this is Jess Dickerson. You know you were you were a big deal, and I'm a young man when I met you. I'm probably 20 years old, and I just want to thank you for being so nice and, and so pleasant and so agreeable uh, toward me whenever whenever I was young, and I've never forgot that. And I think it's now that I'm in the position that I'm in where I'm competing at large events and I have this podcast and I have a voice and I have all this stuff. I, I remember that and how I treat people that we don't understand that they look up to us, you know, and that, you know, we're, we're a little bit of an idol to them or something like that. So I always appreciate you about that or appreciated that about you, Jess. And I just wanted to start this podcast off by saying that. Well, thanks, Josh. Uh, I don't look at myself as any kind of a special person or a legend or anything like that in the sport but 
I do like to help young people and, and help them get started in the sport and see them get started off right. And hopefully they got a good dog to hunt so they don't lose interest. Well, I just, you've had a lot of success. And I've always had respect, especially as I've got older, for guys like you and Kevin Cable and Jed Finley and Kurt Aring and, and guys like that that take and compete their own stuff. You know, when, when Jess Dickerson goes to a hunt, usually he's packing a dog that goes back to Naylor or he's packing a dog that, that he bred and raised or, you know, is out of his line of dogs. And that's that's something that not everybody does, you know, especially at the level that we compete at. And so I want to talk about that when we get in here a little farther. But I also want to talk about you and, and how you got your start because, you know, people from the outside looking in see all the success that you've had and, and they think it was easy or something like that, you know, and, and me and you both know it wasn't easy. And so tell me about how you got started just in the sport of coon hunting, you know, before all the, all the nailer stuff and everything took off. Well, Josh, um, I started hunting when I was about six years old with some neighbors. Um, had one of the boys were just a little bit older than me. His name was Jerry Purdyman, and his dad's Bud Purdyman. They all hunted and had some pretty nice dogs back in back when I was just a kid, and we started hunting with those guys. And uh, just after hunting, it just keeps getting you hooked. You know how it is. You get get to going, you get your own dog, and next thing you know, you're you're in it for life. You just can't get out of it, and that's kind of with me. I started with those guys, and and uh, there was an old guy that uh, was around Mulberry, and I called him a hermit. His name was Clyde Harvey. He uh, was a big old Indian guy, lived out in the country about five miles from Mulberry, where I was raised. And that was Mulberry, Kansas. It's a little town in mm-hmm. southeast Kansas, right outside of Pittsburgh. And uh, Clyde had an old dog. He called him Poor Boy, and he was a uh, he was my first good dog I ever hunted with. Uh, I hunted with a lot of a lot of guys in different times, and of course, you know, back then them guys shoot possums out and everything yeah. else. And uh, started hunting with Clyde, and he had an old dog, was half blue tick, half black and tan, with a stub tail, had a little walker in him, and that was a coon tree and dog. And it seemed like a lot of them guys. Uh, around mulberry didn't didn't like clyde and kind of figured out why sometimes coon hunters get a little jealous and they (laughs) kind of running another guy's dog down but he was actually the best first good dog i ever hunted with yeah and from then on i tried to have something that was a little bit better than what i had too so he was my first measuring stick so that's kind of how i got started josh and and uh and of course you know you go to a few hunts and you get lucky to win one then you're kind of hooked for life what was, uh, let's go there, what, what was your first cast? Do you remember your first cast you was ever in? Man, Josh, I can't hardly remember what happened yesterday, <laughs> let alone my first cast, man. Those, those that know you, uh, us that know you, realize that's definitely the truth. Yes, it is. Uh, but what what about the dog? What dog did you first start cam- campaigning in, like, competition hunts? Well, my first dog, I, I made a grand night champion out of a dog. I called him Dickerson's Rolling Thunder. Yeah. And he was a dual grand. He was out of a... A good friend of mine, Bill Kincaid from Highland, Kansas, owned Buffalo River Thunder, which was my dog's dad. Yeah. And uh, so I hunted him and granted him out, and he was a nice dog. What was he like? He was more of a trailing-type dog, a striking trailing-type dog that was real accurate, had coons. Might pass a few coons up, but he would have a coon when he treed. And, yeah. And just a nice dog. And what was, year was that? Well, that was probably, I think he was a 76 or 7 model. Yeah. So he so, was probably two or three whenever you started putting him in the hunt. So oh, late yeah, about 70s, two year, About two years yeah. old, yep. 
and what were what were the hunts like back then? I mean, it was mostly UKC back then, or did you yeah. have PKC? No, back then when we first started, there, I don't even think it was PCA back yeah. then. But uh, we started hunting UKC hunts, and and uh, of course, then you know when PCA come along, I think my number is seven five zero. So I'm yeah, I'm not as old as that sounds now, Josh. <laughs> But but anyway, um, we started hunting some PKC or C, PCA, I guess you could say then, and uh, then when it became PKC, you know how that went. Yeah. They started registering dogs and changed yeah. the name and all that. So did you did you do a lot of winning with thunder? I know you made it, and people don't understand making a grand night back then was hard to do. Yeah, Josh, back then you'd go to a cat a dog. There'd be a hundred dogs at the hunts, yeah. and you regular just a regular UKC hunt around southeast Kansas yeah. and southwest missouri they'd have a hundred dogs at every hunt you went to you know i've interviewed a lot of people and we of course me and you both know them you know from that area uh northeast oklahoma southwest kansas or southeast kansas southwest missouri you're looking at you know that's the hotbed one of the hotbeds of coon hunting and there were a lot of good houndsmen down there now and i assume it was like that back then too yeah we had mike boone was hunting spring creek rock and some of them dogs back back in the day and greg minkler had his old kansas rock he was a nice dog a lot of them guys had some good dogs did you stud thunder out any i did i ran some ads on him and stuff he didn't really reproduce like i like so i didn't i I just kind of quit studying him you know whenever i seen what he was reproducing what was you what was you doing for a living back then jess i actually um actually was trimming trees yeah that's what i done for 15 years yeah did you hunt hard i hunted hard because the jess when i first met you you were a notoriously hard hunter yeah i I hunted hard i hunted every night almost every night and i didn't come in at two o'clock in the morning i come in at four or five and so a lot of times eat breakfast at the restaurant yeah what uh what dogs you get into after thunder well when after thunder you know i'd i'd kind of just hunted a lot and not really when we started hunting pkc you know it got me sparked a little bit more and and uh so when I got, I've gotten, when I come up with Naylor, you know, of course I hadn't had Lassie that I got from a guy yeah, named Richard Buckle. Lock, lockdown Lassie. Lockdown yep, Lassie yep. with Naylor's mother. And yep. and I talked to several different guys and, and uh, I talked to some guys. And this was some of the yak and tar rattler and dogs like that was getting kind of hot. And, yeah. and uh, I bred Lassie to tar rattler when Larry Schultz had him in up by Minneapolis. Yeah. And then we had seven pups out of that litter, and there was two males and five females. And uh, Naylor was quite a bit better looking than the other male in the cast, I mean, in the, in the, litter. In the litter. And uh, so I kept him and ended up selling the other dog. And, and then uh, we ended up buying a, a female back out of that litter. Her name was Julie. Mm-hmm. And we finished her, granted her out. Of course, I granted Naylor out. And... Uh, we also granted the brother out that one of the boys had bought from us, and Russ Meyer ended up buying that that dog back. It was a littermate to Naylor, and they called him Myers Dinger. Yeah, and he was granted, and uh, so we, we just was hunting those dogs in, in quite a few of the hunts back then. And with Naylor, so you raised him as a baby puppy. Yeah, I he, raised. He him. lived. He lived with you from the time he was born until the time he passed. I assume. Yes. Uh, what did you see? Cause I mean, and for the, we get a lot of uh, big game guys and stuff like that to listen to this out West. So for those that aren't familiar, Noc- Nocturnal Naylor was one of the 
premier and still is one of the marquee stud dogs to ever grace the Treen Walker breed. How many pups did Nather have? I think he had like 3,800 and yeah. some pups. So he had um, nearly nearly 4,000 pups. Uh, he threw some of the greatest winners and some of the greatest reproducers as well. And it's a line of dogs that I still hunt to this day too. But uh, what did you see? I mean, this this is... You know, you talk about dogs that impact the Walker breed, and you're talking Sackett Jr., Lipper, Rat Attack, Nailer. You know, I think those are all right there in that same category as far as dogs that that threw so many pups and that were so adamant, adamantly great in the stud pen that they just were a big impact, and Nailer was one of those dogs. But what people don't realize is times have changed. You know, stud dogs back then were were... I think you may agree with me or disagree, but we're probably a bigger deal back then than they are now. You know, dogs, they're, the fact that we may not see another dog that has as many pups on the ground as Naylor does is very likely. And so to have something like that, you know, people people see it from the outside looking in, and we've all got dogs, everybody's hunted dogs that go back to Naylor. But what did you see out of him when he was a baby that made you think, you know, I really got my hands on something special this time? Well, if you ever saw Naylor in person, he was a, a really rich, deep red-headed dog that had a, uh, he had a lot of size to him. Naylor was a big dog, but he was built like a little dog. Yeah. Uh, my friend John Rich said Naylor was a big dog in a little dog's body. It's about the best I could put it because he had tight feet and real straight, mm-hmm. tall and tight. And, uh, of course, he had the looks, big broad head and, and straight legs and, you know, when Naylor always did say, you know, of course, I, I don't really say a whole lot about dogs and volume and stuff, but Naylor was the loudest hound I've ever heard yeah. bark treed to and this that's, day. That's saying something. Yeah. Because I've hunted with some of the dogs that you've hunted and owned and been around, and they were loud. Yeah. You know, Skipper was loud and a little ex loud. I mean, these were loud dogs. A lot of, a lot of these dogs were loud. And, and I tell you, I, I've said this before to many people, um, Naylor was the loudest dog I've ever heard in my life, but I'd rather hear Skipper running tree a coon as about any dog I've ever heard in my life because yeah. I know, Josh, you've hunted with him, but when Skipper was young, he'd, he he uh, would make you think he's eating a tree down when he's treed yeah. by himself and people thought he was rough, but he just come on a tree like, and, and probably the best track mouth to this day I've ever heard on a dog, Yeah. period. But Naylor was a louder tree, though? Naylor was louder. When did... When how old was Naylor when he first started running and treeing and having coons and? Well, I lived in Oklahoma when I when I uh, actually I lived in Collinsville, Oklahoma when I started. Well, when I had Naylor, and he was about ten months old when I started hunting him, and we had moved from from Collinsville back toward Pittsburgh, Kansas. I lived in Menden Mines, Missouri, right yeah. across the line, and the third night we hunted Naylor, he was always gone with the dogs or just gone hunting. And hadn't been at any of the trees or anything. The third how, night we... How old was he? He was about 10 and a half months. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we were walking, me and a friend of mine that was hunting with me was walking to a tree. And all of a sudden, we heard a dog about a quarter mile to the right of the rest of the dogs come treed. And the guy with me said, Jesus Christ, what the H-E-L-L is that? And I told him, well, I've heard that dog bark in the pen. That'd be that pup. Yeah. And he was treed hard and loud, and I don't think you could have pulled him off that tree, the first tree he ever made. 
and never showed him a cage coon or nothing before this. Yeah. He treed by himself first time he ever treed. So he was just an absolute natural. Yeah, is what you're saying. Yeah, he was. And NATO would absolutely hurt your ears if you're tree if you're tie him up to the tree. When did you did you single him out right after that? Yeah, I hunted him a lot by himself. And yeah. From from about then until he was about probably thirty months old, which we granted him. I never put him in a hunt until he was about. I think he was about. 18 months and he was grand when he was 21 months so at 21 months old he's grand and i mean that's that's something from back then yeah there was those that was hard to do even for a four or five year old dog to make grand well i can tell you the last cast we put him in to finish him to a grand night there was five cast and night champions there yeah. and Naylor treed on the other side of the neosho river was hunting uh, Altoona, Kansas or someplace over there. And he treed on the other side of the Neosho River at about 11 o'clock that night. He'd already treed three coons. And I had to, I waited there, give the scorecard to a guy. I won the cast. I think I had like 575, yeah. something like that. And uh, he was treed on the other side of the river. I waited till daylight the next morning and swam to him and got him off the tree. Still there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Naylor treed as long as any dog could ever treat. When did when did you start raising pups out of Naylor? Was it after you made him a grand night? Did you breed him any before that? I mean, he, no. just, he wasn't even two years old when he no, made grand night. No, I never bred him then. But uh, Naylor had some bad luck getting hit by a car when he was thirty months old. I'd yeah. been hunting him every night up till that point, on a lot of hours, and and uh, he got hit by a car one night when we were hunting, and it just it broke a bone in his hip and broke. Uh, fractured a bone in his leg. Yeah. So that was about 30 months old, and by the time he got healed up from that, people were breeding to him so much, I really couldn't get him back out and hardly hunt him like yeah. I needed to yeah. or wanted to. What uh, What was the first litter? What was the first nailer pup you hunted? Do you remember? Josh, I can tell you the truth. I don't remember the very first one I started hunting, but I knew that when we bred him that people were all – getting you know pretty excited about the pups that he was getting yeah and see that was a that was before social media that was before even text messaging and all that stuff to where you you know say i breed a, a dog to a trader dog or a, or one of my dogs or something like that i know exactly how what them pups are doing immediately because them guys are sending me texts they're putting pictures on facebook and videos on facebook and stuff like that. you guys didn't have all that but you had enough word of mouth to know that Naylor was reproducing pretty well yeah, it's kind of funny how word travels, you know, uh, like I said, Naylor was so loud, and when he and he had a, a locate, you could tree yeah. him on one bark, I mean, uh, and he you'd handle him off of that tree, Yeah. and didn't matter what the other dogs was doing. We're going to take a quick commercial break here, Jess, and then we're going to start talk, diving into the trader pup, or the, I'm sorry, the Naylor pups, because there were so many that were so special. And I want to start talking about some of the ones that I know and some of the ones that you owned and that Jeremy owned and some of that stuff too. So we're going to take a quick pause here and then we will be right back with Jess Dickerson. Briar Creek Kennels is your complete hound hunting outfitter. Boots, lights, collars, and tracking equipment. Dog boxes, kennel supplies, collars, clothes, squalors. Whew, they have it all. Briar Creek Kennel is a garment and dog tree dealer. Owner Chris Girth will ensure Briar Creek Kennel customers will get top of the industry customer service. Whether you purchase from their website, 
or you find them at a major coonhound event, Chris and his staff will share expert knowledge and experience about every product they offer. Chris Girth is a top competitor and breeder of hounds. He knows what gear you need to be successful. Look for Briar Creek Kennels on the web for a complete online store or look at their fully stocked trailer at any major coonhound event. Briar Creek Kennels, offering a hound hunting public generations of excellence. All right, so we're back with Jess Dickerson. Now, Jess, we were talking during the commercial break about Naylor pups, and that's kind of where we left off. What was the first just dynamite Naylor pup that you you remember or got your hands on or got to hunt with? Well, Josh, it's an interesting story. The dog that comes to mind for me was a dog I called him uh, Nocturnal Bozo Judge. And uh, there's a guy that a lot of the guys knew in the dog world, uh, John Otto from Ohio. He's a real good friend of Chuck Smirsel, Billy Cordy, and that group, Dwayne Kurz, and all them guys that had Stylish Whitey, and which was Stylish Clover. They yep. called him Whitey. Yep. Uh, John and Chuck wanted me to come up. We had uh, Walker Days at at uh, it was in Mansfield, Ohio, or Ash. I think it was Ashland, Ohio. Ashland. And uh, they wanted to hunt with Naylor, so we came up there. And I'm getting kind of off the story here with with John, but um, they wanted to hunt with Naylor. Well, we left home. We we bred a female when we left home. We stopped in Columbia, Missouri, and bred another female. We bred one right outside of Indianapolis, and we got to to John and Chuck's place about 3 in the morning, and they wanted to see him go, so we turned him and Julie loose, and it was late at night. Uh, anyway, Naylor treated a couple coons, as I remember, and, and uh, Julie made a den tree on, on one deal, and Naylor went on past him and, and had a coon on the outside. And uh, the next day, John Otto asked me if, well, that night he asked me if I would sell Naylor, and I told him no. And he said, well, I know where there's a really nice pup out of Naylor that he said I've been hunting with. And he said, uh, I just wanted to tell you about him because I think that you ought to own him. So I ended up getting a hold of some guys up there, and the uh, guy's name was Price that had the dog, and he had a guy named Alan Canfield from Ohio. Some of you guys may know mm. them guys, but they're older fellas. I don't know if they're still with us or not, but I uh, actually got on an airplane and flew out there where the dog was at after talking to those guys. They priced him to me. And we went out there, and when I got out there, it rained for three nights in a row. So we hunted the dog in a driving rainstorm, and he treated a bunch of coons. And there was a, actually a blue tick days at, at uh, Mount Gilead, Ohio, I believe yep. it was. And on Friday night, I told him we hunted Thursday night, and the dog treated several coons. And I told him, boys, I'd like to go to that hunt down there and take him and see him in a cast. And I forget what I scored, but I was the high-scoring dog that night with this dog. And uh, so we bought and paid for the dog, and I flew back home that night. And I got home Saturday in time to take him to a UKC hunt right here by the house, and I went in first place with him at that hunt. So he was a pretty special young dog. Like I said, his name, we called him Judge. Yeah. And uh, we had several other dogs coming along, so there was a boy from Nebraska, and I didn't know this guy, and he wanted to buy this dog, and I priced him to him. He came down and hunted with him. 
we hunted three nights, and the first night we hunted was like uh, eight degrees above zero. It was cold, moonlight, and he treed two or three coons that night. The next night it got about 21, and he treed eight coon, single really? coons. The guy bought him and and uh, took him home and never to be heard from again. Yeah. He was already granted then. Yeah. And, and uh, John Rich helped us grand that dog, and at one time I think the dog would have been the youngest grand night ever. Uh, but John, the judge in the cast that night, got stuck, and John stayed out to help him, and they were late for the deadline. Really? Yeah, he was. <laughs> yep. And so he had to get another win, and, and then he wasn't the youngest yep. grand knight ever yep. at that point. When did you get the uh, the skipper and tipper litter? What year was that? Well, they were 94, April 94 models, yep. and... Uh, I tell you how they come along. Uh, there was a guy, a friend of mine. He, we got to be good friends after he bred, and he was from Illinois. His name was Larry Weiss. Yeah. And uh, his brother still hunts, and his name is Steve. And uh, Steve actually came out to the tournament of champions the last year when I was out there. Yeah. You know, and his brother had passed, so that we had a good meeting there. So that was some fond memories. Uh, on a sad note, but uh, back on on Skipper and Tipper, Larry bred a female called Freckles. Yep. And uh, that litter come out, and they were all every one of them was pretty nice pups. Skipper and Tipper was in that first litter. Jerry Paul Boone had a dog called Echo. It was granted yep. that, that uh, was out of the second litter, but so actually, a guy named Brad Honeycutt had Skipper as a mm-hmm. puppy. And and Brad lived in uh, Lead Hill, Arkansas, and Brad was a good good coon hunter, hunted every night. And my friend Eldon Prettyman actually drew Skipper at an RQE when he was like fourteen months old. Yeah, and uh, he told me that there's a dog out of Naylor that I need to buy. So we went hunting with Brad, and uh, end up later on buying Skipper. What I want to get back, of course, you know I I got an affinity skipper since Jeremy owned him, and I'm still hunting dogs that go back to skipper and a nailer or two, of course. And I want to get back to him and spend some time on it too. But one of my other favorite dogs was his littermate sister Tipper, and I didn't get to hunt with her a lot, maybe half a dozen times. I know I got to spectate with Rusty Jones when he was hunting her out at Walker Days a few nights, and I got to pleasure hunt with you a few nights with her and stuff. But she was, I. We, we we talk about wild dogs, Jess, you know, and, and there's been a lot of them. There's been probate and dogs like that that are just, they're crazy and they're wild and they're deep. But I've always said that Tipper just took it to a different level. And, I mean, she was, tell me about her growing up. Was she different, you know, growing up as a pup? Or was she different when you guys got a hold of her than that you could automatically see? Or was it just something that come along later in life how she hunted? Well, I'm going to go back, uh, Josh, and tell you about her mother, Freckles. You know, yeah. wasn't, Freckles wasn't a big hunting dog, you know, and stuff. But uh, when we come up with that litter of dogs, that tipper is like you said, she would be the standard of of a wild hunting dog. Yeah. I've never seen anything that hunted like her. Um, I mean, because Jed likes to brag about how deep Trader got and how shock was way through the world. And we all like it. Venus is through the country and Spice Girls. But Tipper was on another level about how crazy she was. Yeah. I mean, she was just, 
I mean, so like I said, I'll let you get back to it. But I mean, I just I want to make sure and explain to people that there there are wild dogs and then there's Tipper. <laughs> that is true, Josh. Um, you know, a lot of times. Sometimes you just hated her. Yeah. Other nights you loved her. But I tell you, Skipper or Tipper, I mean, she could uh, she could treat other coon dogs. She could treat coons when other dogs couldn't treat yeah. a coon. When yep. it when it was ten below zero and it snowed four foot, some and somebody said you need to treat a coon tonight. That's the dog I would have took in yeah. those bad nights because she you'd find her treed somewhere and she'd have a coon. It might be one mile, it might be five, it yeah. might be ten, yeah. but she she would be treed and have a coon. What was she like as a baby pup? Well, you knew you. I knew I had a, a dog, and I, this way I described Tipper. To me, she was a hair away from an idiot and a hair away from the best thing I've ever seen <laughs> yeah. in my life. <laughs> That's a good description of her. That is a good description. Yeah. You know, when there was a friend of mine, Toby Pryor, young guy back in the day and hunted a lot, and Toby was a good hunter when he was hunting. Toby went with me, and I'm going to back up one more time. When yeah, go ahead. We uh, had a chance to buy freckles after the first litter, and it was so good I had to buy her. And Larry priced her to me, and then he, he backed out on me kind of on the deal. We were supposed to meet, and he I never could get a hold of him and, and stuff. And he did call me a couple of weeks later and said, hey, I'm sorry I didn't meet you, but he said, I got to thinking I'd like to sell the pup that I got. And this would have been Tipper. He had a pup there, and he said, I'm going to quit hunting. He said that if I'd buy a Tipper and Freckles, he'd sell them to me. And I ended up buying them both. And I really, did, at the time, didn't want the pup. Yeah. And she was uh, about 10 months old. The first night we hunted her, we'll go back to the Toby Pryor deal, With Toby was with me. And Tipper was 10 months old. We turned her loose, and it was a... Uh, it was about 30 degrees, 28, 30 degrees, and it started raining, so then it was sleet and ice. We turned her loose by herself, and we didn't have tracking systems back then. And I had a cowbell that I put on, and we followed her eight miles by herself <laughs> in a driving uh, sleet and found her treat in a guy's yard with a house cat, eight yeah. miles from where we turned her loose. That's crazy. Ten months old, so that can tell you about how the idiot part came in. If anybody doubts that they they haven't been around tipper you know to be to see what she'd done what is because and tipper won a lot tipper was a good coon dog well i don't want to knock you know but every time everybody sees her you know she's wild and crazy and through the world i'm sure there was a lot of nights where tipper was you know in pocket and treeing coons yeah that's true josh when she was younger she treated a lot more coons mm-hmm. and then as she got older she got wider and i guess wanted to get away from dogs too but you know uh Another good friend of mine that I met through coon hunting was Rusty Jones, and Rusty was about 14 when I met him, and he started going to a lot of youth hunts, like I said earlier in the in the cast here, that that I uh, kind of like taking young guys and getting them started yeah. and stuff like that, and really made good friends. Rusty and I was lifetime friends from this, but when he was 14, he'd go to the hunts with me, and, and uh, he lived between me and St. Louis, and his parents was good enough to let him go with me when he was yeah. 14 years old. And we went to a lot of them. And he hunted in the youth hunts. Uh, and Rusty got liking Tipper a lot. And so he would go to a lot of the youth hunts. And she got quite a name for herself with uh, those youth guys. Of course, some of them guys, Rusty got about 16, 17, where he could really, mm-hmm. really walk and get get behind a dog like Tipper. Yeah. And, of course, there was some of the youth boys that were younger and like that. 
And every time we'd show up to a hunt, those youth guys would say, I hope I don't draw a tipper, you know. And, boy, when they did, it was like, oh, man, we drew tipper. Some of them with withdraw and, yeah. and stuff like that. I remember whenever I first seen tipper go. Now, Rusty's, I think he's three years younger than I am. So I was 19. He was 16, I think. And I was out at Walker Days with Jeremy, and I'd hunted one night on Thursday, I think, and Friday and Saturday, I just went with Rusty and, and with Tipper. And this one poor kid was probably nine or 10 and he had hunted with Tipper every night. He drew her all three nights. And that last night he was so mad and he was hunting a pretty good dog too. And that dog would get out there and get, of course, Tipper was a good strike dog. So she'd get that hundred and that dog would be 50 or 75 and he'd float over here left-handed and he'd tree a coon and Tipper be forever and through the world, you know, and Rusty Trier, and she'd be 200 on that coon. And a lot of times that dog would be leash locked, and that kid just couldn't beat her. We got to that last tree. She treed two or three coons that night. She looked pretty good, but she was forever on her last one. I don't know how far she was. And you could hear Tipper for a long ways, too. And so that kid was walking, and he wasn't very old, 9, 10, 11 years old, probably the same age as my boy. And he just looked at me because I hate that dog. Because <laughs> I hope I never see that dog again. <laughs> Yeah, that happened a lot. And like I said, Rusty was big enough and strong mm-hmm. enough, you know, at that time, hunting Tipper, he's 16, 17, and he could really get through the woods good. And I did feel sorry for some of them kids yeah. 11, 12 years old trying to keep up with her because she was uh, just a different different cat. She was a different animal. What is your wildest Tipper story? What's the craziest place you ever got her picked up? Well, there's several of them, but uh, if, if you was on a cast and she heard the guide say, you don't want to be over there... <laughs> She actually, I, I think she heard him and knew what he said because that's where she'd go. But she's found me a lot of hunting that I didn't even know I had yeah. over the time because she would, she was just the kind of dog that was just tough and it wouldn't come back, wouldn't no quit in her. And, but one of the things that uh, when I won the world championship with X Junior, we were hunting in Indiana, and there was a, we were up there hunting for four or five days with a, a friend of ours, and uh, he actually guided Tipper's cast this night. And uh, Rusty Jones was hunting her, and mm-hmm. he was 17 or 18 then. And Tipper had treed two coons already and had a, had 400 or four, 450 on yep. two coons, first and first on two coons. Two of the dogs caught a skunk, and they was out backwards. Another dog had minus because she she had treed a coon, and it come into her after yep. the time was up. She trees another coon, and then they turned her loose again and headed toward a highway, and they called timeout. Well, the other dog had like 25 plus points or 25 yep. minus, something like that. Tipper had 450 plus. Well, she got into a, a penitentiary. <laughs> and uh, true story. <laughs> she, I've heard it, but I, I want you to tell the listeners about it. Well, she was in a penitentiary inside and they had to call timeout. By the time they go in and get the guard at the guard shack, woke up and, and get go in there and they're driving down this is something that's funny you'd have to hear rusty jones tell it because he was 17 and he was scared to death because yeah. he's in that 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 <laughs> it was a minimum security pin yeah but it was a penitentiary and uh they had to drive down by where these guys were watching a movie and he's rusty tells it really good because he uh said to some of them guys come out on the porch and start hollering boy you're messing up our movie <laughs> He said the guy had a big old deep, gruff voice, and he yeah. said it scared the heck out of him. And, and uh, they went on to her, and she had a coon inside that pen, and that guard said, I don't know how that dog got in here. Well, she'd get in places where you didn't yeah. know where, how she could do it anyway. 
But uh, he said, we're going to have to find out where she breached this gate that where the where she got through here. And so anyway, so they, they took her back out. By the time she got back to the judge, the hour was up. Yeah. So this dog had 25 plus wins the cast. Yeah. What about, didn't she swim swim the Ohio one time? She did. Now tell us about that. Well, Rick Stretch was on a cast with us, and I think Rick thought she'd got killed on 60 Highway yeah. there. And uh, Cliff Day was a guy that I got to know pretty good, hunting and hunts a lot, you know, and Cliff was a pretty good guide and judge. And Cliff always had a boat there, and he lived right there by Smithland. And him and his guy guiding, uh, you know how they would pair you up with, uh, it's two buddies yeah, yeah. going to guide one judge. But Cliff had the boat, and he said they'd take the boat out in the Mississippi. That's where the Ohio and Mississippi yeah. come together there, and it's about a mile wide. Well, he said that they would take the boat out on the island and hunt. There's islands out in that mm-hmm. river, and I didn't know that, but there is. And uh, he said they'd go out on the island and hunt a cast. And he said, I'd never seen a dog swim on the, off the island, let alone once swim on the island. Well, I told Cliff we were hunting along the Cumberland River, and it's a pretty big river, mm-hmm. and it goes into the Mississippi right there too. Yeah. And I told Cliff, I said, well, we're going to probably tipple or be spent swimming that Cumberland River. He said, I ain't never seen a dog swim the Cumberland River. And I said, well, you probably will tonight. She'd (laughs) treed two coons on this side of the river before we, but the third time we turned her loose, we didn't hear her anymore. And she had enough points to win the cast already, but we could not hear her again. We got back the truck and we had the old beep beep. Yep. TRX 1000. Yep. And uh, so it showed her across the river, like showing her she's treated over there on the river and and that guy said well she can't be over there she'd have to swim that river to be over there well tipper swam half a mile out in that river and was treated on one of them islands out there and we we took the boat out and got her that's crazy we took the gun and i probably shouldn't say this but we shot it out (laughs) i would too i wouldn't want to treat that coon again anyway (laughs) but i know the guy the cliff had already went back in and told his buddy get the boat and so we got the boat and went out there and got her but it was one of them movies, if you've seen in, in uh, some of them old movies way back when, I've seen them where it's real foggy, you can't really yeah. see anything on the water. It was just like that. Yeah. And there was a barge that passed us as we was going through no there. Kidding. So we was watching, yeah, there was a barge that went by on the other side of the, the where she was treated on that island. Yeah. And that guy was telling me, he said, you watch that bank, we're just going to go slow. But he said, that bank's going to just come up on you quick. And it did. It about threw me out of the boat. We hit the, <laughs> hit the bank about the time I saw it. But I know I know when people talk about dogs getting them in, in some strange places. And I've told those two stories just from what I've heard from you. You know, of course, I wasn't there. But I'd seen Tipper go enough to know that her wildness was on another level. You know, and I've told those exact same stories that you just told. I'm glad you brought up the prison one because I was going to ask you about it. But you look at Tipper, and and Tipper won plenty. Tipper was a good coon dog. You know, she just had that wild hair. And then her litter mate brother, Skipper, of course, one of my all-time favorite dogs too. Uh, He wasn't, you know, he was a hard hunter and a deep hunter when he had to be, but he wasn't like Tipper. I didn't think, or at least anything that i seen out of him. So when, how old was Skipper when you guys got him? Well, Skipper, he was about 15 months yeah. when I bought him from Brad. Yeah. And so we hunted him, and, and uh, Brad had hunted Skipper on squirrels a lot, you know. And, mm-hmm. and uh, at, at first, he was training some squirrels and stuff. But 
when when you was hunting Skipper and had him right, he was tough and sounded sounded as good as a hound could sound. Yeah, his locate was just something yeah. I've never heard. Of. I've still never heard. Of. I've heard some that were fairly close. You know, a lot of them out of Naylor or Skipper or something like that were close, but they weren't like Skipper. The amount of times that he would locate and as loud and long as they were was pretty unique. Yeah, he was. He was one to hear. I mean, I'd just soon hear him hear him run a good track as any dog I've ever heard. Yeah. And I mean, it's just a pretty, his track mouth was not only good, but it was about as pretty a mouth as you've ever heard. Yeah. And so you went from Naylor and, and you're hunting pups out of Naylor, Skipper, Tipper, and some others. And then you get into X Jr. Now, when X and Mabel, and we want to talk about Mabel too, of course, when X Jr. and Mabel come along, that was right after my brother had got Skipper off you and Russ. And uh, we just started hunting him and, and breeding him to some females and things like that whenever Mabel and and, and uh, X Jr. just went off on winning, winning hunt. So it was good for Jeremy, too, of course. But so you're three generations now away from Naylor with X Jr. and Mabel. What did you see? Tell me the story about let's start with Mabel first. What did you see out of her? When did you get her and all that stuff? Well, they were two generations, you know, with Skipper was yep. out of Naylor, and then they was out of him. So they were two generations. Yep. Um, when we got Skipper, we pretty well finished him out, you know, trained him, yep. finished him out. And, uh, of course, by then, then Tipper was granted and a gold champion. And, and, of course, I think we turned Skipper a silver champion. Yep. And, and then he had, you know, Jeremy, you was – I mean, Josh, you was uh, – knew that Skipper had a bad tick disease, yep. and he had, had that tick disease called Babesia, and that's probably the worst one that I know of. And uh, that's probably the only reason Jeremy got to buy him yep. from me because he was, he was still a good dog, but he couldn't take the hunting like he could before, mm -hmm. you know, and especially in the hot weather. Um, Whenever... You sold Skipper. X was how old? X and Mabel were how old? Well, they were just probably when I sold him, they were probably about two year old. Yeah, so they were they were still pretty two or young three old. years old. Yeah, but here's a I hadn't even bought either one of them yet, yeah. and uh, so they might have been even older than that. They might have been after I bought them, but that I sold Skipper, but. Uh, we had another female off in there, you know, not to change the subject, but before we move on to Skipper and Tipper yeah. or, or X Junior and Mabel, I, I had a female that I had called High Dollar Lady. Yep. And she was, uh, she looked like a male dog. She was big, had a big old head. Everybody thought she was a male dog. Mm -hmm. She was loud and a, really a country and dog. And she's a gold champion in Grand Night, too. We finished her out. Yeah, I forgot all about her. I'm glad you brought her up. Yeah, yeah. she was a good one, I too. I remember that dog. Yeah. What, uh, well, you're talking, you see, you made, Tipper was a gold champion, Skipper was a silver champion, uh, Lady was a gold champion, so you guys are really big into the into the PKC hunting at that time, too. Yeah, we were hunting a lot more PKC yeah. at that time than we were UKC. Yeah, and see, it's a gold champion now, and don't get me wrong, it's hard to make a dog a gold champion now, it is, but a gold champion back then was very hard to make. Yeah, there wasn't no hunts that paid... Ten thousand right. to win. You had to win a lot of cash to win ten thousand dollars. Tell me about Lady. Let's let's touch on Lady a little bit. What was she like as far as hunting style and stuff? She was a big hunting dog, a quick striking dog, mm -hmm. and, and a good track driving dog. Had a good mouth, and she was loud and a good tree dog, accurate. Did she? Uh, 
have that same kind of locate and stuff yeah. like that that Skipper and, and all them dogs were known for, too. Yeah, she had a good locate. Sounded like a male dog. Yeah. Most people thought she was a male when did they you saw ever, her. Did you ever raise any pups out of her? You know, we never did raise any pups out of Lady. Yeah. We were, you know, back then we were more into hunting the dogs. Yeah. And, you know, we very sell, we we when Tipper and, and Mabel got a little older, we started, you know, breeding them a little yeah. bit. We only bred two uh, Mabel twice. Yeah. What'd you breed Mabel to? We bred her to Harry one time and Jet. Yeah. yeah. Jet. I remember, yeah, you had Jet. How long did you guys have Jet? It's oh, we had, we had Jet for probably three years. Yeah. So yeah. I thought you had him for quite a while. And, yeah. So you're hunting. How old was Mabel when you got her? Well, Mabel was about four when we got her, um, maybe four and a half. Uh, actually, when we got X Junior, he was close to four. Yeah. And uh, I'd been hunting with Pat and Jerry Paul Boone. Pat had Mabel, and they was coming over hunting with me probably four or five nights yeah. a week. And, and uh, I told Russ that I know where the dog is we need to buy if them boys had ever sell her. And I'd been hunting with her quite a bit. So we uh, asked him, asked Pat if he'd sell her, and he said he would. He priced her pretty high. We ended up buying her. But at that time, when we bought her, I told Russ that we better buy her because there's a lot of people looking at her. Yeah. Because a lot of people, was she was getting a lot of attention. And so, yeah, we ended up buying her. And, of course, you know the rest of the story. We ended up winning the, the, the national championship. But what got qualified, we won the state hunt right before the nationals came about. Yeah, how long did you own her? And we've talked about nationals before on this podcast, and I still think, uh, nationals just got over here recently, yeah, but I still think nationals, PKC nationals, is probably the hardest hunt to win. I mean, every dog that there is a winner. Uh, every cast is like you're in one of these high end pro classics and stuff. So to win nationals is a dream that a lot of us have, and you got to do it, and you got to do it with a dog that was three generations off your original stud dog, which also had to pre- feel pretty special. So. I want to talk about that. Let's talk about your Nationals run with Mabel and how she did and what the cast were like and all that stuff. Well, I can't remember all the casts, I suppose, but uh, <laughs> I do remember we had... Uh, That's how you know you've won too many casts, Dickerson. Well, I'm if sorry. I win Nationals, I'm going to remember every second of it. <laughs> well, I'd, like to, I'd like to say that's right, Josh, but now I can't hardly remember what happened yesterday. Yeah. But, but I do remember one particular cast that I had the the dog that won in nationals the year before in the cast. That would be the Sackett's Rock. Yeah. And good guy owned him from down south. And uh, we had a good cast, good hunt. And uh, I know Mabel took this track through the country and treated this coon at the end, you know, and that pretty well sealed the deal yeah. for me. And I think I was ahead a little bit anyway, but that, that was uh, the coon that really drove the nail into the coffin. I know in your final cast, you had some good dogs in your final cast. Uh, Hardwood Henry was in that cast and a couple others that were big winners. Hardwood Henry was a good dog. Yeah, he did a lot Rick, of winning. Rickless, was, Rickless good was, and they were, they were hot that year, too. I mean, Rickless was winning everything that they seemed like they stuck Henry in. So yeah, it yeah. ain't like you had a, a cakewalk through any of it, but that final cast was really a really hard one to win with some really good coon dogs. and. You, we were talking before the podcast started recording that, that you're walking to Mabel at the end of that hunt, and if she has a coon, she wins. Uh, what's that feeling like, Jess, whenever, you know, because I, I think I'm going to be a nervous wreck and probably about to puke if I ever get into that situation, but what were, what were you thinking walking into that last tree? Well, I don't want to sound boastful, but Mabel had a coon when she treed. Yeah. Most, you know, I mean, as much as anything, but uh, 
I had a good feeling going to that tree, and uh, she was up a not a huge tree, but it was a bushy mulberry tree, mm-hmm. and that coon was walking around in the top of that tree. You know, I mean, and our judge was having a little bit of a hard time finding that coon, but all the handlers that was there had already seen it, and and uh, anyway, yeah, he finally seen it, and so we. I knew then we wanted Barry Kitty was in the cast had Ruby. Yes, that's right. And right. Ruby was treed. Actually, I'm back up here. Roger Dale had a dog in the cast, and I don't remember exactly the dog's name. The, Actually, I still got the scorecard in front of me right here. Floyd was the dog. Yeah, name. the Floyd yeah. dog. Yeah. And uh, Barry and I had a tree that we we had. It was a circle tree, and we come off that tree, and we had our dogs on the lead. And Floyd was, they kept putting the, the stationary on Floyd, so we couldn't walk to cut our dogs or anything. We had mm-hmm. to stay there. And the hunt was getting down toward the end, probably less than 15, 20 minutes, and, and Floyd would tree a little bit and shut up. So we'd take the stationary off and put it back on. This one particular time, he'd shut up long enough that they took, the two took, uh, took yeah. it off of him. And I asked him if we could walk out into a clearing. There was a little clearing out there, and we were in big, heavy woods there. So we walked out in that hearing, and I could hear, hear Mabel about as far as you could hear a dog treed to the left, and Ruby, Barry Kitty's female, was treated about as far as you could hear to the right. And I, I tree Mabel, so we're going to have to go score her first. And if I got a coon, it doesn't matter yeah. if Barry's got a coon or not. And Barry said he had a coon. I'm sure he did. Yeah. But uh, that's what won the cast. That's got to be a good feeling walking in there, especially – and you said you know she had a coon, and you can tell – Anybody who's hunted very much, you can tell when your dog's got a coon most of the time anyway, or if they're doing something right. And you 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 were pretty confident going in there, but that still had to be a good feeling, you know, seeing that coon and scoring that oh, coon. Oh yeah, yeah. It's always because you know you a dog can tree a den tree and yeah. and uh, the other dog have a coon and it could have been the other way. So you won nationals. You uh, and you're hunting Mabel, and you had X, and you were hunting X and Mabel at the same time. And I believe it was the same year that you won the UKC World Hunt with X, wasn't it? No, Josh, uh, we won the World Hunt with X the year before. Year it was before. 2001 okay. when we won the World with him. And then the following yeah. spring, I guess, we won the Nationals. Let's talk, because I, I know you told me when we was eating supper tonight, you'd never heard any of my podcasts. So. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I've talked about X. I was on another podcast, actually, QNUT University, and, and I talked about X, and I put him in one of my top three favorite dogs to hunt with and because he was so talented you know in the track talent and the bells and whistles that x had and the looks and you know he was kind of the entire package but i want to talk about x jr for a little bit and what made x so special to you guys and of course before the world hunt and all that stuff what made you you see x and and know you wanted because he had a kind of strange story about how he got started and all that stuff too yeah um X Junior, Eldon Prettyman, and I had had uh, some but dogs. Hey, before we do that, and I've asked you this before, I know, but wh- who was who was the original X? What was X named after? Well, X Junior was uh, named after a race car down yep. here at uh, Fort Scott, Kansas. Yeah, that was winning a lot of. The boy was from Fort Scott that had a, a race car, a circle track car, yep. and he called it X Junior. Well, Eldon. Prettyman lived right there close to him, so he named his dog X Jr., and they actually had a nickname for him. They called him Jazz. Really? I did not know he had a nickname, yeah, but I knew, had, I knew why he got named. Yeah. But what did you see out of X when you first started hunting with him? Well, when Eldon ended, up, Eldon ended up buying him back, Troy Hardy and Jesse Greer raised him, 
had a female out of Sackett Junior yep. that they bred to, yep. to Naylor, or to, or to Skipper, I mean. And uh, Eldon calls me one time and says, hey, I, I've got a young dog here. I want you to see him go. And so I met him. We were a couple hours apart, and I met him about halfway. And, and uh, I had a pretty good old dog called Gunslinger. Some of you mm-hmm. guys may have yep, known I him. Remember him. But Gun was just a good, solid coon dog. And uh, I met Eldon down the road, and we turned that X Junior was about 11 months old, and we turned him and Gunslinger loose together. And, and X was a real striking dog, like some of these dogs that's out of him mm-hmm. are. And uh, he strikes his track in there about 100 yards, and, and Gunslinger don't open for a while, and he seems to be moving this track pretty good. And I'm thinking that at the time, I'm thinking he's just barking behind that old dog. And uh, they go in there, and pretty soon – uh, gunslinger starts opening and they trail on in there about a quarter and tree they treat about the same time and go in there and we got a coon so we went to another place did the same thing and x got in there about the same hundred yards start opening and that dog pretty pretty soon guns start opening with him and they went on and treat another coon so i told eldon we're going to turn this pup loose by himself i'm starting to scratch my head now yeah. a little bit i'm thinking this pup might be striking an actual coon and uh you know, it takes the guy a few times to hunt yeah. with a dog like that to, to realize what they're doing for sure. Well, we turned him loose again by himself, and he goes in there about the same, 150, 200 yards, strikes a track, trails it around there about a half a quarter and comes treed and got a coon. And so I've seen some pretty special things out of that dog when he was just young. But the signature on Mabel Tipper, X Jr., and Tipper, them dogs could strike a track that other good track dogs and mm-hmm. good strike dogs would not open on, and it'd actually be a coon. They could just trail a coon up and tree it when other dogs didn't even know it was there. I've seen them do it over and over. Yeah. And that seemed like a trait that came through the Skipper-Tipper cross, or Freckles cross, yeah. which Skipper and Tipper was in, which Skipper, you know yourself, Josh, was a good strike dog. Yeah. But he wasn't quite like those other dogs as far as striking tracks like that. He's as good a strike dog as you could probably find without being Skipper Mabel yeah. one. And, yeah. uh, and I know because the first time I got to hunt with X uh, was at the stud dog hunt up at Russ's cabin. And I'd never got to see him go and all that stuff. And we rode up there with some local buddies of mine. And, of course, she, and I talk, I've actually talked to uh, – uh, Frank Giddings about this too and how great that hunt was and how cool that was to to see because these were marquee dogs X was there and all the Sackett stuff was there and Jet and all them dogs you know and we turned X Jr. loose and I'll never I could probably drive right to this day where we turned him loose you know and I, I don't think I've been back there since and he got struck and big country was like this too when I hunted him uh, X opened and you you've been in the woods and you've listened to dogs open especially before garments and stuff and you're still focused on where you think that dog's going to be the next time he barks well the next time x barks he's about two clock positions to the right and 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 moving and moving and everybody thought he was running junk the dog was going so quick everybody thought he was running junk and he didn't go he didn't trail that thing very long i mean six seven eight hundred yards and he just piles this coon and i thought that dog is pretty nice i said that's pretty good and you know he kept doing it and then every time i hunted with him he kept doing it and the track talent was something that you really noticed with x jr and i see some of that stuff like duds is is similar like that and of course he goes back to that stuff too and some of the wipeout stuff but x also through that 
I think, with a lot of his pups. And they were kind of ahead of their time. You know, Zeb 3 came along later and through that same style of, of track-minded dogs. And X, X Jr. was kind of a different reproducer, I think, than Naylor as far as he was throwing track-first dogs that were good tree dogs. But a lot of guys didn't give them the time that they needed because they were used to a Naylor-type dog that, that got treed faster and better and quicker where the X dogs seemed like they were trailing first type dogs. Is that kind of what you've seen out of them too, Jeff? Yeah, that's real similar, uh, Josh, to what I see. You know, X Junior, Mabel, and Tipper, they all wanted to strike and mm-hmm. trail a, a track, even if it went half a block, yeah. 100 yards. Naylor treated a lot of coons without ever opening on the ground, but right. he was a, a dog that, and, and go back to go back to him, Naylor was the kind of dog a lot of guys would say, well, that dog don't open on the ground sometimes. Yeah. Well, if Naylor smelled a coon in the air, he'd go straight to a tree and didn't yeah. have to bark on the ground. Mabel and the mother dogs, Tipper and and them. Now, Skipper was similar to Naylor yep, in that yep. respect. Skipper treated a lot of coons that she didn't open on, but yep. was still an open-mouthed dog, and Naylor was also. But Naylor uh, didn't – the way I described Naylor versus the other dogs, Naylor was a tree dog that would trail. X Jr. and Tipper and them dogs were track dogs that would tree. Yep, yep. And, yep. uh, but Naylor was equally as good about what he did as X Jr. was right. as equally as good on the ground and stuff. Uh, uh Naylor was the, probably the best layup dog I ever seen ever cut loose. Yeah. And I know, and there's nothing wrong with either style. Uh, you look at, you know, we've, we've hunted a lot of really good dogs that, that would lay coons up and that weren't looking for a track. But the, and those dogs are easier to start, you know. They're tree-minded dogs, and it seemed like X Junior was a good reproducer. And we're still there's still dogs everywhere that go back to X Junior. And of course, you've still got some in your kennel. And you look at you know Darty's X Con dog is double X Junior and stuff like that. But it seemed like if X would have come, he, I, I would just say he's kind of before his time. If X would have come eight nine years later, when people were used to those trailing type dogs as opposed to the rat attack stuff and everything like that that was looking to get treated i think they would have got a better shot and he would have been even a better you know as far as the numbers goes it it would even look better for him is that something you think well it's just everybody's preference on a dog which which i i like both them dogs if you was put naylor and and x jr out there i you just don't know which dog would win yeah more yeah. than the other one, but they were totally different, two different styles of dog. Naylor was an open mouth dog on the ground, but yet if it was an old bad track, he was a slow striking dog. Yeah. If it was a medium track, he was about a medium strike dog. Yeah. And on a good track, he'd strike quick as anybody's dog would. You would, know X, would X open on them cold tracks quicker? X, yeah. Oh, yeah. X, yeah. That's, that's, that's the, to me, until I hunted X Jr., like I said, the way it was with uh, hunting him with Gunslinger, I did not realize that there was a dog out there could trail coons up from his cold track and yeah. have them up to tree them on the outside like he could. And Tipper and, and Mabel had that same knack, too. Yeah. They'd strike tracks that other dogs wouldn't open on and didn't dry You know, they, they was track dogs. They wasn't trail dogs. Yeah. These dogs could run a track and tree an old bad coon, turn it into something good in five minutes yeah. and, and tree it in there three-quarters of a mile and in eight ten minutes if you didn't have uh a measuring stick with x you wouldn't know it was a cold track no you wouldn't you know no he he was that kind of dog and his track talent is still that's got to be probably the most talented track dog i've hunted with i mean to this day i still think 
Yep. Well, I tell you, Josh, I know, of course, I had Skipper, Tipper, Mabel, and X Jr., and all pretty much at the same time. But I I still say this, Tipper's the best track dog I've ever seen in my life. Skipper, or or, uh, X Jr., was right there behind her. And Mabel was right there behind him. They was that kind of dog. They'd strike tracks other dogs didn't yeah. know was in the woods and take them through the country and treat them and have them. Yeah. And just make you think. Like Tipper, I've seen her do some things, and Russ can tell you the same thing. I've seen her tree coons that you wonder how she got over there yeah. as fast as she did. And one of the things I think that took away from the times I hunted with Tipper, she's so deep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I didn't get to hear the whole race like I did with X a lot of times because Tipper would be in there a mile. Yeah. And we're standing on a hill, and all of a sudden you can hear Tipper treed way through there, you know, and so you didn't get to hear everything. Of course, I didn't get to hunt with her near as much as you and Rusty did and stuff, you know. Well, I'll tell you about a hunt, and John Rich was telling me, John hunted Tipper in the, in the World Hunt and the Super Stakes one year out there when she was just two. Mm-hmm. And she was still treeing a little bit, treeing a possum once in a while for me, and, and uh, she had just turned two years old. And John was hunting her, and he treed her one night in a cast, which this has happened more than once. Uh, turn, a dog, turn the dogs loose in a two-hour cast and tree Tipper and walk the whole two hours to yeah. her. Yeah. That's happened more than once with her. And this particular hunt, they was hunting over around Cadiz, Kentucky. And I don't remember the guide, but I know uh, there was a guy named Cleve Ferguson. A lot of guys used to know Cleve. He was mm-hmm. a good, good hunter in Texas, and Cleve was getting a little older. And he was in the cast with John Rich. And they was hunting Tipper, and I don't know what other dogs they had in the cast, but I think a guy named Keith Dice from Texas was judging his cast. And... John said they could hear Tipper. These dogs made some trees, a couple of trees, and they come up out of the bottoms. They could hear Tipper treed in there, and it sounded like she was forever. But like you said, Josh, and John Rich said the same thing. Of course, he never did hunt with Naylor, but you could hear Tipper treed mm-hmm. as far as about any dog, and Naylor was the same way. He had that yeah. high pitch. You could hear him for miles. Yeah. And John had treed Tipper, didn't know how far she was, but he knew she's a long ways. And it took them, they walked the whole cast out, and them guys had to rest three or four or five times on the way to her. And they get down in them bottoms, and them guys would start wanting to put the two on her. And John told them, anytime you want to put the two on her on top, that's fine. But when we get down in the bottom where you can't hear her, we're not doing that. Yeah. John said they walked till the hunt was over, and she had a coon, won the cast. And the guy had told him that he did not know where the heck they were at. <laughs> but he saw a house light over there not too far, so... They walked up this house, knocked on the guy's door, and gave him. And they gave him, the guy gave him a ride back to the truck. And he said it took him thirty minutes to get back to the truck. <laughs> I don't doubt it. Another good, another good story I can tell you. This is not bragging on Tipper, but she. We went to Texas and and uh, the five thousand, and we got her in a couple nights down there. And the third night. We uh, was hunting with some good dogs, and she'd put on a pretty good show, and she had the dogs beat. Everybody withdrew, and I had like 375, and I thought, boy, we got eight minutes left to hunt. I thought, this hunt could go. I, I may need yep. an extra coon. So we turned her loose with eight minutes to go in the hunt, and she made a funny bark, like a tree bark, but she was trailing. Then she mm-hmm. went to trailing, and she was running something I'd never heard her run like that before. And, and she'd never been exposed to the wild hogs that they had yep. in Texas. But yep. she went crazy on those things, and she loved them after that night. She, fact is, you might have heard this too, Josh, but it took a – we couldn't catch her that whole night. And the next day, about 4 o'clock, we caught her just in time to enter her again in the hunt yep. for the next night. It was 4 o'clock in the afternoon when we found her. 
And as about 20 of us went out there, and we had, only way to catch Tipper if she wasn't treed was to get around her, and we all surrounded her and just started closing in on her yeah. like you would a coyote hunt. <laughs> and we <laughs> caught her. So I kind of wish we wouldn't have because she did that same thing the next night, ran hogs no <laughs> the next night. And uh, so then I was going to a hunt in Alabama, somewhere way south Alabama. Yeah. And, uh, well, no, it was uh, actually in Mississippi where they had a lot of hogs. Mm-hmm. And uh, we was hunting her that next week or two down there, and she got after a hog. And we was in a real good place to tree a lot of coons and, and score good. And, in fact, a dog, I think it was one of Roger Dale's dogs, uh, that Deep South Sally. Yeah. She would gotten a Final Four in this cast. Tipper never made a tree. She ran hogs the whole time. <laughs> we had a uh, guy in the cast that had a red bone dog, and uh, – he rode with me, and when them guys, when Tipper was running hogs, they and the hunt was over, they was going back. And I told this guy that to, I begged him to to ride with one of them other guys, and he said, "I'm not going to leave you out here." And I said, "Man, you don't know what kind of dog I've got out here. You you better <laughs> yeah. go back." And he wouldn't go back with them, and and we walked, and I I've never walked as long in a cast or ever yeah. out coon hunting as I did this night. We were. Uh, the the guide told us if we walked straight north, we'd hit the road the truck's on. Then all we'd have to do is turn left. Well, he forgot to tell us that that road turned and went north. So we was further east when that road turned and went north. So we was walking and missed the road. Yeah. And we kept walking. And if we walked a mile, we walked eight miles. <laughs> I had blisters on the top of my feet, on the bottom of my feet. And it was daylight when we got, and we still didn't have tipper. <laughs> She was still behind us running. We were just trying to find the truck yeah. now. And it's starting to rain, and it was just getting daylight. And this guy, there was, we started walking up this road, and it was about the time we crest this hill, there was a barn there. And he said, I'm going to go lay down in this barn. <laughs> and uh, so he did. And he said, but if you see a light, if you walk on top of that hill and you see a light, you holler at me. So I did, and we see there was a light over mm-hmm. there, a house light. So we, uh, I hollered at him, and he went up to the door and knocked on the guy's door. Well, the guy loaded us up in his truck. He never said anything about being mad about us being there or not. But he took us straight to a little town to the jail. That's where he took us. He didn't take us back to the truck. (laughs) Nuh-uh. Yes. (laughs) He took us to the the jailhouse. And there was two two, uh, officers there, and they must have had some experience with this guy, but he wasn't the actual landowner. He was actually just a, a hired hand. Yeah. And he was wanting to press charges on us, and those guys said, they'll take care of it, and they, and they pretty much ran him off. And then one of us, I got in with one of the guys, one of the officers, and and a guy with the red dog, he got in with in a car with the other one because we didn't know where the truck was at. So we went one way, and they went the other, and we found the truck. And uh, that's another hunt where we didn't get Tipper until the next night in time to enter. But we did it again. And, yeah. and uh, she, she uh, I don't remember exactly what she did the next night, but I, I do know that we caught her about 4 o'clock in the afternoon that evening. We had several of them out there helping <laughs> catch her. But she went hog wild, I guess you might yeah. say. I, and I, and I'm glad you told these stories, Jess, because every time everybody starts talking about, man, this dog's crazy and this dog's wild, I said, no, I don't think you understand how, how, how she was crazy. She was. <laughs> she was crazy, but a good coon dog. 
She, like I said, the hair away from an idiot and the hair away from yeah. the best thing. She could trail coons up and tree them through the roughest stuff. And, and you'd wonder, scratch your yeah. head and wonder how she got over there that quick through the stuff she could yeah. go through. But to, to kind of talk about that and to finish this up, Jess, I, I just finished up a couple of weeks ago the, the podcast with Ryan Croson aired. And he used to hunt some dogs for you, and he got started competition hunting some dogs for you. And he mentioned that in the podcast, and he and he had some glowing things to say about Tipper. And you know, Ryan's a female guy. Ryan Tipper's kind of Ryan's style as far as what he liked in a dog. And he told me that that when you talk to Jess, uh, he's going to tell you what his favorite dog is. And he goes, "If it ain't Tipper, he's lying." <laughs> So this is how we're going to finish it up, Jess. You've hunted with, you've owned some of the greatest dogs that have ever, have ever hunted. You really have. And you've been around some of the best dogs to ever compete. What is your favorite that you, that you've ever turned loose? Man, Josh, that's a pretty tough question. Uh, I mean, I loved X Jr. I loved Mabel. I loved Naylor. I mean, he was, uh, Naylor would make a tree extra, you know, sometimes, yeah. but he'd just treat more coons than any dog I've yeah. ever been around. He he would just treat more coons than, than anything uh, that I'd ever hunted him with. But I guess to say my very favorite dog, because I'm a, I'm a guy that likes a strike type dog, and X Jr. was probably my favorite. Yeah. And Mabel right behind and Tipper right there with them, them yeah. three dogs. And, and Naylor was probably about in line with that yeah. as, as the fourth. Well, Jess, I really appreciate you sitting down with me, and uh, I appreciate all the hospitality and the friendship you've given me over the years. Uh, like I said, uh, we're still hunting dogs that go back to your stuff to this day, and, and I think down the road my son's going to be doing the same thing, and hopefully his kids too. So uh, we appreciate everything you've done for the sport. We appreciate uh, you, know, you, like I said, you sitting down here with us and telling us about it, and I really want to sit down. We'll do this again sometime because there's a lot. You know, we're kind of up, up against the time crunch here, but there's a lot I'd still like to talk to you about. And, uh, you know, we'll have to do this again sometime. Yep. Sounds good, Josh. We just scratched the surface a that's little right. bit. But that's right. We did. It's been enjoyable. Thank you for uh, putting things together for us. All right. This is Josh Michaelis with the Houndsman XP podcast, and you're listening to The Truth. And once again, thank you to Jess Dickerson for the, for the hospitality and the courtesy. And uh, we hope you guys enjoy. And like I said, uh, we'll, we'll do it again with Jess. And, uh, you know, we'll go from there. It was a great time. It was a great podcast. And I think we're going we're gonna to take a lot from it. So, Jess, like I said, thanks again. Uh, we'll do it again. And thanks for listening.